2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. I am speaking to you oil-drenched. Now, I know a lot of people don't eat oil or take it in on the inside, but right now I am doing Panchakarma, which is an Ayurvedic cleansing program. It's going to take about Three weeks altogether, and it involves all these really oily treatments. So I just noticed that my camera wasn't turned off, and I think that I was seen in all of my oily hair look by our uh, engineer and our first guest. And so I got very, very vain and uh, shut that off. But I'll let you know how it goes and if being uh, oil drenched, um, really does help somebody look and feel amazing as the introductor introduction person, uh, says about what we are about on this show, that and many, many other things. It's so funny how sometimes the show just lines up as if it were planned that way. And today's show is one of those because right after the break, we're going to be speaking with Lorena muki who is the head of the Ethical Choices Program. That means that she and people that she trained take these ideas of, of loving kindness and eating sustainably into high schools all over the world. Very cool. But we're going to start with looking at children who are a little bit younger with the most splendid writer and artist of books for the young, and that is Ruby Roth. You've met her here before, but you've also seen her on CNN, Fox, Today, and all over the place. Her first few books were That's Why We Don't Eat Animals, Vegan is Love, and V is for Vegan. They're all in a whole bunch of languages, and it's just time for her to do a cookbook for the little people, and she has done that. The Help Yourself Cookbook for Kids, designed to get kids into the kitchen to chop and sprinkle and mash and roll and get healthy and be vegan. Ruby Roth, bless your heart. Welcome to the show. So happy to be back talking to you again. It is lovely to be talking with you. We did meet out in L.A. last year in that wonderful, artsy Silver Lake District. I will always remember that. And then when I see something about Silver Lake, I always think, well, I was there. I was there with Ruby (laughs) Roth. So, sweet memory. So for people who don't know you well, just give us a little bit of the backstory. What happen to lead you on a vegan journey?
3: Um, I think that I was always vegan at heart, and I think most people are. Um, but like me, we don't know it yet until we have the information. Um, I was raised by a mom who's vegetarian. I lived in Hawaii on an organic tree farm. Um, I was always interested in social justice and politics and considered myself a healthy person, health conscious, liked health food. Um, and one day and in my college years, a friend of mine who was vegan said, Hey, your, um, eating habits don't match your morals and your values. And I, that stopped me in my tracks. Um, and I really took a look at my eating habits and what I was participating in. Um, I had always planned on being an artist, but I wanted to be an artist with a cause and not just, um, a gallery artist that was, doing work for pure expression. And um, I was teaching art in an after-school program and decided that um, I I wanted to create something that I could use to talk to my students um, about my habits and all these questions they were asking me about my food choices. And so I put my interest in social justice and um, politics together with art and created the children's books that I wanted to see on the marketplace.
2: Well, and they're beautiful, and they've attracted a lot of attention. I think it was your second book, Vegan is Love, that really had people being nasty to you on TV. (laughs) What was that like, And, and what's it like now, a few years later, looking back on the fallout of all that?
3: Well, I definitely see the shift in the mainstream, um, I think, due to everybody's work and everybody's input and sharing of information, which (laughs) vegans are so good at. Um, But in 2012, there really wasn't any discussion um, of veganism too much in the major media, and especially none about children and veganism. So bringing that um, discussion to the mainstream really brought up what the media was uh, deeming controversial and that, you know, we weren't sure if this is healthy for kids or, you know, they were calling my book, um, um, scary and inappropriate for children when really there's nothing in it that a child wouldn't see at the grocery store or, you know, on a cooking channel. Um, but I think it was just proof that people, you know, do not know what they're eating and participating in. And, by calling my books controversial, what what the media was saying was that what we do to animals is scary. Um, so I think therein lies the problem, and they were proof of the problem by you know by calling to, you know telling kids the truth um, by finding a problem with that.
2: Yeah, well, it's wonderful. In in a way, I mean, I know it must have been really hard to go through, but the fact that you built that reputation, so now whatever you do, everybody knows, certainly in the vegan world, that it's going to be extremely high quality. In fact, it's interesting. I always post about the show that's coming up, the live show, even though the lion's share of our listeners listen to the podcast later, so I should really probably promote more after the show. But... It's very interesting. I, I get feedback after people have heard a guest on the show and they say I liked so-and-so, whatever. I got so much great feedback, Ruby, just saying that you were going to be on. People oh. absolutely love you, and one person just did capital R, capital U, capital B, <laughs> capital Y. So you have a lot of friends and a lot of fans out there. Now, the Help Yourself Cookbook for Kids I don't think has – anything controversial in it. It just has a lot of amazingly great food. Now, some people would say, oh, my kid would never eat mushroom jerky. My kid wouldn't eat kale chips. What's been your experience with that?
3: Um, I've received the greatest pictures and the greatest feedback from families, and, and they're definitely not all vegan. This is the first book that I made specifically for a mainstream audience. It doesn't even say vegan on the cover. It says plant-based. And um, what people are telling me is that because this book speaks directly to kids and is written directly for them, um, that kids are getting into the kitchen. They're so excited to have a book of their own with, like, their own food. And, you know, they're telling me the kids are making the food. They're so excited about it. They're asking for second helpings. They're drinking more um, fluids and being more hydrated than ever. You know, like these are all little things that parents have trouble with. And I'm super happy to have created a resource that is doing what I meant it to do, which is just engage kids um, and get them interested in whole foods. Um, I think a lot of what's out there. Um, often tries to trick kids or sneak healthy ingredients in. And I think that is absolutely the wrong thing to do and the wrong approach um, when kids will very easily get on board if you engage them.
2: Well, you do such a beautiful job. And of course, the artwork is just absolutely stunning. This is kind of a coffee table kids book as well as a great cookbook. So I know that you have a stepdaughter who I'm shocked to learn is now 11. Why do other people's children grow so fast? So was she your inspiration? What made you want to do this particular book?
3: Um, she's always my inspiration for, in all of my books. She was born and raised vegan, and she's a super little athlete and jujitsu um, practitioner. Um, but with this particular book, um, I got a lot of requests from families, vegan families, to create a book that they could share with their families and family, other family members and friends that weren't necessarily vegan without putting pressure um, on the recipients and while my first books were really created for vegan families um i wanted to create a book um that fulfilled these needs and th- this is actually how i eat and when i'm cooking for myself and cooking for my family and I, they are super simple recipes and a lot of it is um ingredients that people are already familiar with plus you know some in, superfood ingredients that People, I, I think, should start working into their normal repertoires and that are easily accessible these days at any health food store. Um, and it's doing, it's doing the work that I wanted it to do, which was to get into mainstream households and start um, encouraging kids to have an authentic relationship with their food. So let's talk about that. There seems to
2: be this split in the vegan movement right now of people who are gung-ho, push for the vegan, only vegan, anything short of vegan, will not do. And then another contingent that is saying, don't say vegan. Let's just try to kind of sneak some of this in. So is there a middle ground? Where are you in that whole great divide?
3: Um. I feel always, but what it comes down to for me is what is most, um, effective. And I think you have to be strategic, um, as activists in what is effective. And if it's more effective to say plant-based in a certain scenario, then say plant-based. And if it's more effective to say vegan, then say vegan. Um, but I think, as activists, you also have to be a really good listener to be effective and to do efficient work. And, um, to me, that means listening to the people or the audience that is in front of you. And I found that, you know, that while the mainstream is definitely warmed up to the word vegan and, um, and everybody is eating more vegan food, um, I think that, people are sometimes intimidated by the vegan community when they call themselves vegan. And then they might get yelled at for still continuing to wear leather shoes. And I don't think that's fair. Everyone's on their own journey. And, um, I certainly, you know, was wearing leather shoes before I wasn't wearing leather shoes. And I wouldn't, (laughs) I wouldn't have appreciated being, you know, being yelled at, um, which I do see a lot of. So, I think it comes down to um, efficiency and, and being effective and um, knowing your audience. And you have just proven
2: that one can be an artist and a pragmatist. <laughs> so as, as we get close to the end here, I just want to ask you about children. I mean, you, you live with one. They're your audience. What do you hear from your stepdaughter or maybe other kids? What's it like to be a child vegan these days?
3: You know, I find such strength in them. They're often the only ones in their classrooms. You know, even here in L.A. where, you know, it's so progressive and people are health conscious. Um, there's been many years where my stepdaughter is the only one. And I meet a lot of kids at book signings who are the only ones in their classrooms. And I think that it's one of the a great proof that veganism is such a great teacher, you know, beyond... Just the practical benefits of health and saving animals and the environment. I think it teaches the, having a vegan education really teaches you grit and persistence and strength, um, because these kids are determined to go on, you know, no matter what their peers are doing. And they're compassionate. They're not angry. They want to make a difference. And, um, I think it's just a great lesson and they're great examples of, you know, what the next, the potential of the next generation could be.
2: It's very exciting. And thank goodness they have your wonderful books to grow up on. I mentioned that you were going to be on the show to someone and she was saying, oh, oh, my daughter can't get enough of those books. Oh, that's
3: awesome. <laughs> Makes oh, my oh. day.
2: At someone else, um, the film, I'm, I'm helping a, a filmmaker down in in Florida, Thomas Wade Jackson. He's doing a beautiful documentary called The Compassion Project, geared to trying to interest people who identify as religious or spiritual in vegan ideals. Yes. Yes. And when he saw that you were going to be on the show, he said, oh, tell him that he has a dad and a three-year-old in Florida who... <laughs>
3: No, <laughs> it's just, that's great. Just depend on the books. It's so, great. And you know, this whole vegan movement is grassroots. You know, I, I see it as a people's movement and not a legislative movement. And so it's really an honor for me to be a part of this worldwide community that is helping one another. And we're all working for a cause. that's not, you know, not just our, our own work, but um, to change the trajectory of, that our world is on. Absolutely. Do you have an idea for the next book? Oh, I have a million ideas. <laughs> so people can stay tuned and, and follow me at uh, we don't need animals dot com and on Instagram, Ruby underscore Roth. And i um, happy to continue growing this network and helping each other with with projects. Wonderful. And we will put
2: all those URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So if you are out running or walking your dog and you didn't get a chance to write down Facebook, We Don't Eat Animals, or Twitter and Instagram, Ruby underscore Roth, all of that will be uh, on the show notes. And you can find Ruby everywhere, as well as Silver Lake in Los Angeles. Thank you so much, Ruby, and congratulations on another wonder.
3: Thank you, Victoria, and for all of your work, too. Thank you.
2: Everybody else, stay with us. We will be back with the Ethical Choices Program. Don't we all want to be making those? Just want to um, steer your attention to the Main Street Vegan blog. You can just go to MainStreetVegan.net, click on blog. And it's really fun because you get a different blogger every single week, except I kind of cycle through for the first Tuesday of the month. And uh, this week's post is called Animals, Believers, Compassion, about trying to carry the message to those people of faith that we talked about before with the Compassion Project. So you might want to take a look at that. But right now, let us continue on our theme. Because you know what happens when you have little kids and they eat their kale or even if they don't, they tend to become big kids who want to think for themselves and make their own decisions. And how cool would it be if hundreds and thousands of teenagers lined up to make ethical choices? Well, that is the vision of Lorena and I am going to say her surname as well as I can. Say it, Lorena. Muca Muca. Now why couldn't I say that? Lorena <laughs> Muca is the president and founder of the Ethical Choices Program, an international nonprofit humane education program that offers presentations at high schools and presents teens with a vegan message of compassion, wellness and sustainability to empower them to make better choices for themselves and the planet. Welcome, Lorena. Thank you so much,
4: Victoria. I'm very, very honored uh, to be on your show.
2: Well, it's, it's an honor to have you. So many people wrote in, you've got to have her, you've got to have her. And I finally <laughs> said, all right, all right, please, I will. <laughs> so I just want to know, where on earth did you get this astonishing idea? Because I think the first, the roadblock that would come to most people's minds is, well, you can't take this into public schools. It's too controversial.
4: Right. Um, actually, I've been doing this for about 10 years but at a very local level here in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, it became so uh, big, so fast, um, and it seemed very effective that we thought, well, why not replicate it uh, in other parts of the U.S.? And that's what we did, and it seems it works. Uh, but the reason why I think it works and why we get so easily into schools is because we are... Um, entirely an education program, um, and that's what differentiates us from other advocacy groups. So we present the information in a very judgment, a non-judgmental, very respectful way, very uh, science-based uh, manner, and humorous to teachers that really there's no controversy whatsoever um, in their minds.
2: So what happens? You train the instructors and then they get the high schools to say yes?
4: Correct. Um, our educators go through very intensive training and continued evaluations to make sure our program is really exceptional. Um, and we train them very, very specifically on that curriculum that we have developed over many years. They contact the teachers, teachers invite them uh, to their classes, um, and by far, uh, most of the teachers that have invited us continue inviting us semester after semester. So we know that our program is very well received um, wherever we go.
2: That is so exciting. Now the training that you do, is this online or do people have to go somewhere to get it?
4: Um, The training takes uh, place here in Atlanta. That's where our home base is, so to say. And we bring our educators one time here for a three or four day training, very, very intensive. And then um, we have specific people on our staff that will work one-on-one with them until they are um, ready to be uh, to be set free. Uh, so <laughs> to so uh, once we give them the green light, then they start contacting schools. We give them the material, how to contact schools, how to follow up. Um, really, they are very, very well trained by then. Um, and... Most of our educators have already a background in education. Um, a lot of them are are your graduates, as you know, um, and that's fantastic. Um, many of them have been in the education field already. Um, a lot of all of them are vegans because, of course, we don't want to only talk the talk but also uh, walk the talk, right? Um, so, so really, the people that we have is, is what makes our program so so good.
2: It's, it's vegans are exceptional. I, I think there's something in the psyche of anybody who commits to doing something that is still so outside the mainstream that you just get remarkable human beings. I see that with Main Street Vegan Academy all the time, and I'm sure that you see it with your educators in the Ethical Choices Program. It's almost astonishing. Sometimes I sit back and think, okay, I, I know what the norm is supposed to be why aren't I getting more people who aren't amazing? But vegans tend to be amazing.
4: (laughs) Yes, vegans are um, tireless, they're passionate, they're committed, Uh, they always go the extra mile. So it's true, they're exceptional human beings. And I am uh, so honored to to be uh, the leader of such an amazing group because I couldn't ask for for better people to work with me.
2: Oh, that's wonderful. So what does it take? Uh, Do you... Do people have to apply? Uh, What's the process for accepting someone into the program? um,
4: They apply. Uh, We have the application on our website, so they send us a cover letter and a resume. Um, And um, then they go through um, several interviews like any other job. And if they, you know, get accepted, they go through the training. But anyone can really apply as long as they're vegan, they love to work with teenagers, and they have uh, the passion to change the world. That's really the, the three most important requirements.
2: Well, I think uh, all of them except love to work with teenagers. You might just get <laughs> thousands of people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. That's a very good point. Oh, boy. So, um, so someone is trained and they're going into the schools now. Let's just say I'm a teacher and one of your instructors calls me up. What am I going to hear from them?
4: Um, first of all, we don't call um, teachers. We email them because that's the best way to reach them. Uh, we give them information about our cu- curriculum. Uh, we offer uh, four different presentations, and those presentations are catered to different subjects. All of them cover animal agriculture and the devastation um to the environment, to animals, and um, to our health, um, but they might focus on one more uh, than the other. So, for example, if we're emailing uh, environmental teachers, we will offer uh, the environmental presentation, um, et cetera, et cetera. So they're catered to the subject, and we make sure that our presentations or our curriculum, I should say, um, align with the uh, educational standards for that particular state, and that way, we have a, a way better chance to get invited to schools if they see that we are um, we are presenting something that they are, that is already um, in their standards.
2: Sure. So, for environmental science, I get it. What other kinds of subject areas uh, would actually, you be actually? Uh, we've
4: been invited by uh, such a range of uh, of teachers, um, science teachers in general, biology, chemistry, etc. Um, of course, food and consumer science teachers, health teachers, uh, PE teachers, uh, social studies teachers. Um, those are the main ones, but we've gotten teachers that uh, teach physics or math, and they still invite us. Uh, for them, it's a little bit of a, a break because we uh, we get to, to teach all their classes on, in one day, so they get to catch up on, on you know, uh Test scores, or whatever they need to do, and at the same time they bring um, a, a, a cool presentation to their to their students, and everyone appreciates that. That's a win win situation. Oh,
2: you have really thought this all out. No wonder <laughs> people are so crazy about you. So, what's the reaction from teachers and from students? The-
4: is amazing. Uh, truthfully, in the 10 years that I've been doing this and in this last year that we've been doing it in over 20 states and in Canada, um, the feedback has been consistently very, very positive. Uh, teachers are, are very happy that we, um, that we, that, that we think of them. Um, students feel empowered. Uh, for the first time, they feel they're important enough that we're thinking that they can change the world. Uh, we put a lot of information in their hands but we do it in a way that they don't think, um, they don't even um, believe that we are telling them to do something. We are actually putting a lot of uh, trust in them that they will make decisions um, that will benefit themselves and the planet. Um, So I think by... Giving them the power, we are actually pushing them to 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 be better better humans, and they appreciate that.
2: Um, parents
4: are always very happy too. Can, if you can imagine, um, when a teenager comes home and they're passionate about animals or their own health on the environment, um, they're happy, right? Because uh, that age is such a tricky age that um, you know if they can if they can channel that defiance, that rebellion towards a greater cause, then parents are happy too.
2: Well, I would think unless the parents were in the industry, I think particularly in farming communities, and I I know uh, one of your graduates, who's also one of my graduates, uh, Sally Sanders, had talked about going into a school in in, uh, one of these areas. And actually, she was much better received than I thought Mm. she would have been. Do you have any stories about some of those kinds of uh, communities?
4: Yes. Um, Many of us have have taught um, at or have given presentations at rural um, communities and also um, have had the great opportunity to teach at very wealthy um, private schools that um, happen to have some of the parents in the Cattlemen's uh, Beef Association, for example. Um, Sometimes we get a lot of uh, backlash, I guess, but at the same time um, our presentations are so factual they're so um, non-confrontational that really there's not much discussion, or not much controversy that we raise. We simply put information in the hands of students so they can make their own decisions. We've had ACT teachers or, um, you know, 4-H teachers. Um, if people are not familiar with this program, so I'd be glad to explain. Um, but um, they themselves are happy that we're bringing up some issues that um, are – are very serious and that they want their students uh, to know. So in general, I think that by now, if we were creating so much controversy, would, we would have been shut down. But if, uh, the opposite is the truth. The truth, we are growing very, very quickly. Um, we hope to have about 100 educators uh, next year covering nearly every state. And um, our educators are getting into schools very, uh, Quite easily. Um, I think um, many ways I've said that before, that uh, getting to schools is the easy part. The hard part is to actually deliver the information in a sensitive way, in a non-controversial way, and actually build a relationship with the teachers and schools so we get invited back. And that's where we're working very hard, and I think we're doing a good job
1: at.
2: Now, that's wonderful, because I think when most people think about humane education – They think about companion animals and possibly wildlife. Mm -hmm. So you're really offering something very unique that probably most of these teachers have never heard of before.
4: Correct. Um, And actually, I think human education is taking a different perspective, which I'm very glad, glad for. Because human education really empowers um, or aims to empower people to make thoughtful, responsible decisions. And human education really promotes compassion and justice and integrity. So if we focus on these qualities, I think uh, nobody would argue against them. Um, So in our view, when we go present at schools, we really uh, look at the individual, whether it's a teacher or a student, As a human being, there's no gender, no race, no faith, uh, no sexual orientation. There's no boundaries. Um, There's only a human being with a capacity uh, to make uh, decisions that would benefit everyone. And I think when people are treated that way, when people are treated with compassion and respect um, and consideration, they react better. Um, And that's, that's our goal, for them to just think about these issues and consider them.
2: Well, you're doing a beautiful, beautiful job. So, do you know how effective you are? Do you have any numbers?
4: We don't have hard data, as you know, per numbers. Um, but we have um, a lot of uh, data that we've, that we've gathered throughout the years. A lot of it is anecdotal. A lot of it is in the form of emails and letters. Um, so, we have to say that we believe that um, one of out of thirty students, in average, um, in every class. Uh, goes vegan uh, that's what we've been able to gather. Uh, about five of them make drastic um, food changes. Many of our of our students um, have already contacted us uh, you know throughout the years saying that they've influenced their families or that they've uh, been able to create an animal welfare club in their schools or their or an environmental club. Um, a lot of those um, students also have um, done projects on these uh, issues, so we know that that our program is making them think. We um, also believe that um, either making people vegan or not is not a good uh, measurement of how effective we are because I think science and, well, studies in general have shown that sometimes we have to hear the same information many times before we change our, our habits. So we don't know if, you know, when we present at schools, that might be the first time that someone hear this information, or it might be the 30th time. But we know for sure that we are planting a seed.
2: And that was going to be my next question. How much do your educators report back that these students already know? Are there still kids out there who have never heard of a vegan? Or is this something that is pretty much in the collective psyche? They just need more direct information.
4: Yes. Um, so when we started 10 years ago, I have to say that most of the kids uh, that we presented to have, had no idea what a vegan was or what uh, was going on with the animal agriculture industry, what a factory farm was, or how a slaughterhouse, um, you know, killed animals. Um, nowadays, thanks, for, thanks to social media, uh, the information is there, not just social media, but, you know, radio shows like yours or documentaries, etc. So nowadays, kids um, can define the word vegan very easily. We ask them, what's the difference between a vegan and a vegetarian, etc. So the information is there, but I think what is lacking is um, the tools, and that's where we come in. We not only give them information, but we also put tools in their hands so they can actually translate that information into practical um, choices um, so that they can start right after the class. And that's that's what we do what we really focus on, not just give information, but also um, push them to make choices that uh, are that actually very practical.
2: Wow. So the name is Ethical Choices, and so that leads me to think that the emphasis is more on animal issues. But I know you do talk about health and sustainability as well. Kind of what what's the division? How much emphasis is there on each of those?
4: Okay, so our program looks at issues related to animal agriculture and its impact on the environment, our health, and farm animals. Um, all of our presentations um, spend about 15 minutes on um, ethics and our, our relationship to animals. Um, so all of them cover the animal sentience part, um, you know, that the issue that animals suffer, that they value their lives as much as we value ours. So that part is very common in all presentations. Uh, the only difference is that uh, each presentation has more emphasis on either environmental or health or um, animal agriculture, but all of them uh, cover the basis of, um, you know, animal sentience.
2: I see. So you're, you're not leaving anything out.
4: <laughs> no, we're not, because we think that um, if they get that part right, um, I think um, there's much more success in, or my, it's it's more likely that they will, if they make any change, that that change will last. We know that a lot of people make changes due to health or environment, but if the ethics is not there, it might not last as long. So we want to make sure that they understand that um, from an ethical point of view, um, it's just, you know, we don't need to kill animals uh, to survive. Or actually, to thrive, right? Not
2: even survive. (laughs) Absolutely, I'm speaking with Lorena Muke. If I said that right, and if I did, pardon me. Of the Ethical Choices Program, you can find more information at ethicalchoicesprogram.org and their Ethical Choices program with a couple of hyphens on Facebook. I'll put all that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So, Lorena, you didn't start out as anything close to vegan, and and you were actually an animal science major at Texas A&M University. How did you get there, and how did you leave that?
4: Well, it was thanks to them, actually. Um, you may have noticed um, my accent. I am from uh, South America. I was born in Bolivia, but I lived um, my childhood years in Bolivia and Argentina. And Argentina is one of the biggest beef producers in the world, so I got to eat steak uh, many times. Uh, Every week, I ate steak for many lifetimes, I think. And um, so, when I uh, got to Texas A and M University, um, all I wanted to do was to work with animals. That I've always loved animals, so I thought, why not, you know, be an animal science major student? Um, But lo and behold, um, I am very thankful for those first two years because I got to visit factory farms, uh, slaughterhouses, uh, witness the mutilation of, you know, piglets and baby cows and egg-laying hens, and that was a wake-up call. Um, you know, coming face-to-face uh, with these animals really woke me up um, in many ways. So I made a choice to, to quit, and actually I switched majors and I became a zoologist, um, and later on I became, um, uh, I went to, to graduate school uh, for environmental studies. Uh, so kind of this program brings all of my background together, and I think I'm I probably the most fortunate person uh, to be doing this.
2: Well, I think the people who work with you and the students who learn from you are probably the most fortunate, and there are some fortunate animals out there too that uh, are going to survive a lot of the horror because of these young people who are learning the things that you're teaching them. So how about people who work with young people or, or live with young people very often these days, it's the teenager who goes vegan and the parents have to be educated. But sometimes it's the other way around. I was talking to some people at a festival this weekend, uh, uh, one lovely woman whose family isn't vegan. She's, mm-hmm. she's the lone vegan out there. So what would you say to to someone who is vegan, who has teenage children, you know, they're at the age where mom all of a sudden doesn't know nearly as much as she used to. How do you work that?
4: Um, well, I think that the best way is to uh, offer information uh, and always ask before, right? I think uh, respect and consideration is very important. Uh, so to offer information and offer support, um, I think that's all we can do, really. Um, I think giving, uh, providing the environment for that Seed to sprout is what we're what we're all about. Um, once we have information, we are responsible. Uh, we become carriers or vehicles of that information. Um, but I think many of us who know so much or who want to change the world uh, sometimes want to make people do things that they're not ready to do. So what I would say is to uh, be very considerate, very respectful. Um, Uh, But definitely, you know, give tools to the person. Offer information and tools. Um, There's a lot of social media. Encourage them to join groups, Uh, maybe to watch a documentary, Uh, you know, offer some foods, Uh, bring them to a potluck. There's a lot of subtle things that we can do uh, to make people think.
2: And I guess that is irrespective of age. I think that's the same kind of... uh, Advice you could say, what if I want to get my grandmother to go vegan? Probably about the same kind of information.
4: Yes, I think um, the age is very important in the sense of, uh, you know, what tools we can provide. I think teenagers uh, uh, are obsessed with social media, uh, which, which you know, we have to take advantage of. I think social media is fantastic. Um, so one of the things that we do is to um, offer them tools on social media so they can be immersed in all these issues and maybe, you know, uh, learn more about that.
2: So how would you advise a young person who's looking at college and who wants to do something with animals? I think a lot of them end up in a program like you were in or a kind of pre-vet program, and they're horrified by what they see. Are there ways that young people can work with and for animals without getting involved in the exploitation?
4: Absolutely, Um, you know, without saying my age, which is not a big deal, but uh, when I went through college, um, you know, over 25 years ago, they didn't really have uh, many options for me. It was either I I went through those labs or I would fail the class. Um, Nowadays, uh, students have the chance to um, refuse to do certain things, animal testing, for example. Uh, They do a research project instead, The Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is fantastic at providing models and other things. Um, But I think uh, more more than anything, I encourage uh, college students to uh, meet up with other people uh, with their same mindset. If you are an animal lover, um, you are bound to encounter many many other animal lovers around it all it takes is to do you know sometimes a google search in your area so i think the best thing is to be surrounded by like-minded people uh, to have the enough uh, enough support and the, the community and the fellowship that is needed to to thrive as a vegan in this non-vegan world yet right because pretty soon it'll be a vegan world i think
2: yeah, to me, it sure looks like that. I was saying to somebody this weekend, I always think the world is going vegan until I'm on the road and need breakfast. <laughs> and then I know there's still a ways to go. Yeah,
3: yeah. But
2: I'm interested because when I came up with the idea for Main Street Vegan Academy that trains vegan lifestyle coaches, I didn't really come up with it. It literally landed on my brain like a gift from the universe. I don't know how else to describe it. It was just one second I had never thought of such a thing, and the next se- second I knew I had to do it. So I'm always interested in other people's processes. What was your process for starting the Ethical Choices Program? Um,
4: I think all vegans, when they learn about the um, unimagin- unimaginable um Suffering of animals, I think we we are all a, a bit traumatized, and uh, in order to do that, we we got to be selfish in a way and take care of ourselves. And in my case, I thought either you know I help animals somehow, or or, or I'll. I'll drown in my, in my sorrow, in my, you know, uh, hopelessness. And I realized that by being as effective as possible and trying to bring some healing into this world that I felt better about it. Um, so that's when I said, well, you know, it seems that um, I'm a good communicator. Uh, I have a science background. Um, I love to work with teenagers. And I recognize that teenagers uh, are truly the game changers. They're the future decision-makers. They will demand, uh, I mean, drive the demand for, for foods. Uh, so really, I don't like to waste too much time educating older people. Um, I don't want to call it a waste, but I'm just saying I think it's much more um, efficient and effective to teach the generation that will change the future. So that's when I decided to focus on teenagers. And um, to tell you the truth, I didn't know how it was going to um all end. I put a curriculum together that I thought it was pretty good. I started knocking at the doors of schools um, and they started opening their doors and everything just snowballed from there.
2: So you were the Ethical Choices program for several years and yes. then you started training these other teachers.
4: Correct. It was just for several years um, to a point that I would mention to people, hey, you know what? I, I am just uh, uh, saying no to a lot of teachers because I just can't fulfill all these um, requests, and they would say, are you crazy? How are you getting into schools? And somehow the word got to Farm Sanctuary in New York, and um, their education department contacted me and they say, well, can we go watch you for a while? And I said, sure, you know. So they sent um, a, a person here, Samantha, and we're good friends now, and she um, spent um, a couple of days just shadowing me through schools, and she was thrilled, and that's when they invited me to Farm Sanctuary to give a talk about what I do, do. and after that is that I was approached by so many people saying, well, I want to work for you, and we said, well, let's try it, and and it worked. So we are now, like I said, uh, hopefully we're starting the fall semester with about 60 educators. We just finished the semester with 30 of them, and just this 30 gave... um, over 750 presentations to, 20, to 21,000 teenagers. So wow. we're very happy with the way it's going. We expanded to Canada, and um, we're, we're um, expanding to Australia, too, in the fall. So we know there's a need for these, and um, we want to, you know, fulfill this need.
2: Oh, that is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I have a feeling you're going to cover the world. This is is very, very exciting. So just give us a vision. How do you see veganism over the next 20 years?
4: I truly see veganism as becoming more mainstream every day. Um, There's not a day that I don't learn um, that younger people are do get it. They are the ones that realize that Uh, We're going through some of the most serious environmental problems, obviously health problems, um, that we don't need um, to be cruel to animals, and that animal agriculture is actually um, the most, uh, one of the most cruel systems that that exists and is institutionalized. It's legal. So they are are the ones that are more um, informed about all these issues. So I think this is like a snowball. Uh, I think we've We've gotten to a point where uh, veganism in 10 years is going to be a given. And in 20 years, uh, hopefully vegans will be, you know, uh, if not the majority, a good, good percentage that uh, will just go over the tipping point. And from there, it's what I call the tsunami of vegans, where we'll hopefully uh, take over the world in a good way, right? I mean, vegans, um, vegans are, are, are the best. Uh, they are compassionate. They are. Uh, They're. We, we call them um, an army, but an army that is armed with uh, with the best qualities that a that a person can have. So I I am an optimistic. Um, I always think that uh, things are going to turn out all right, and and that's how I live my life. Um, and also because I think that there's so much suffering and so much. Um, Fear and sickness in this world. That I don't want to add one iota to it. So when people, you know, ask me why are you so joyful all the time or humorous, uh, it's because I think we need more of that in the world. Um, so that's that's what we're trying to see. I think in twenty years the world is going to be better, better than today.
2: Wow! Well, you're doing such a great job with the Ethical Choices program. I guess nobody could get you to run for president. Maybe that will happen. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not not American, though. (laughs) So finally, just in our our closing minutes here, what's the last word? What do you want people to know about the Ethical Choices Program?
4: Um, We want them uh, to know that we are trying to reach as many teens as as possible, that we need them to uh, spread the word uh, word about our program, um, to share with teachers, with teenagers, with parents, um, obviously, we're a nonprofit, so um, I don't have to say this, but I'll go ahead and say it: that um, we cannot do it without the support of our donors and, and our, you know, fans. Um, so it, either you uh, you can come on board as an educator, or you can be a volunteer, help us put databases together, or emails or social media, or you can sponsor an educator, donate monthly, so one of our educators can get into schools. So there's many many ways people can support us, and all of that is on our website um, for people to to learn about.
2: And that is EthicalChoicesProgram.org, and it will all be on the show notes. Lorena, bless your heart! Thank you so much for thinking of this, uh, implementing it, doing all the work, and now not only going out and saving animals and doing this incredible service for children, but also providing a very wonderful. Way for vegans who really want to get the word out to do this in a way that is going to reach far into the future. So, thank you for all that you do, and thank you for being on the show today. Uh, To my lovely listeners, I just want to give you a heads up about a couple of things. I may have mentioned last week, but I'll mention it again now. I'm on YouTube. You see, it's never too late to do things that teenagers do. I do have a friend. He was on the show, actually, The um, fellow who in his 80s learned to skateboard so that he could have his picture on the cover of a magazine. Well, I didn't quite have to learn that, but I am on YouTube The channel is Victoria Moran NYC, and we're just posting a couple of times a week all sorts of fun things. The post that went up yesterday is me making an Ayurvedic chocolate shake. So if that sounds yummy, head on over there to YouTube and take a look at Victoria Moran NYC. The point of that for me is to bring everything together, the veganism, the spirituality, the self-help stuff that I have done for so much of my life and really bring that into a lovely hole with a lot of little fun videos Now I have an exciting announcement about next week's show We are going to be bringing on James Lucas from Grape Cat. They sell all kinds of fun vegan stuff, and they go to vegan festivals all over. So if you're somebody who has a business idea that you'd like to take to vegan festivals, James can help you out with that. And then we're going to have a celebrity. We're going to have John Sally, super-duper, seven-foot-tall, legendary basketball player and vegan. We aim to please here on the Main Street Vegan Show. Until then, God bless you. Eat your veggies.
1: Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey.
5: The more we learn about life, the more we realize life never stands still. Life is in a constant state of growth and change. In our individual lives, we may resent change or even resist it. We often forget that our resistance doesn't stop life from changing. Our resistance keeps us locked into a negative mindset and blocks our acceptance and enjoyment of life's constant diversity and variety. Learn to recognize change as a stepping stone to greater growth and good. Meet life's changing conditions with courage and optimism. Changing your thoughts helps you change your actions and can result in positive changes in you and the world around you. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
2: And sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a guided life podcast. And I believe that help is all around us. We
4: just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our
2: past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.